Welcome back to the Non-Standard 14er Podcast, the podcast that tells you everything the root description leaves out about Colorado's 14ers. I'm Short Rope. I'm joined by Tay Jack. Hey. Jaster Jack. Howdy. And we got the verbose rye guy back on the podcast for another version. <laughs> Good to be back. Part two. Part two. So I'm curious. We were talking about this a little bit before we were recording, but it's not very often you get to talk to somebody who's gotten a ride in a Blackhawk. Um, <laughs> I know this is... Uh, you know, a, a bit of a sensitive topic for a lot of people, so I appreciate your willingness to talk about this. But, um, you know, just for our listeners, Ryan was involved in a, a rescue on, was it Crestone Peak? Crestone Peak. That yeah. involved extraction with a Blackhawk. And so if you're if you're comfortable with it, we'd love to hear a little bit about that as well. Sure. No, I mean, I, um, yeah, it's been, I think it's been a little over five years. Um, you know, and that, that's honestly one of the things, like full story, that, that definitely would be a little more than the time we have left because there's a lot... There's definitely a lot to unpack in there as far as not only just what happened, but there are a ton of lessons learned, um, and that's something I kind of look back on, and it, I would definitely say in some respects that was kind of at least a turning point for me in, in kind of, well, I'll call my mountaineering career, uh, because after that I, I changed how I did a lot of things um, to make sure that, I shouldn't say make sure, but to, to help avoid the possibility of that sort of situation. I mean, sometimes stuff just happens. Um, but a lot of times you see rescues, and there's usually a series of events, and it usually isn't just one thing, it's usually a series of things that compound and lead to the situation, and that was certainly the case with us. Um, yeah, kind of the, the, the short of it, uh, we climbed Crestone Peak, it was uh, June 20th, 2014, uh, so summer solstice, and it was this high snow year, so we did... Uh, Basically, we knew we were, and we'd had photos from the week before from the sand dunes. A couple of folks did, um, that we knew took a zoom lens and got some great photos of the Red Gully, so we knew it was a full snow climb top to bottom. Um, and at that point, I had been doing winter peaks for about two years. And That's a standard, though. That's a standard on yep. Preston, but it had snow in it, though, Correct. in early June. Yeah, so totally standard route, um, and this, this at that time of year, it had a little more snow than usual, where it was pretty much full top to bottom, except for a couple short sections. Um, and so, yeah, basically that means crampons, ice axe, like, you know, it really isn't much of an, another way to do it. Um, yes, yeah, so we, the group, there's four of us, and it kind of was really two different kind of teams. There were myself and a guy that I had known and climbed with a couple times, and then um, a friend of his who I also knew, and then a f she had a friend with her, and I didn't really know this other guy too well. Um and uh, so we basically on a Friday night, uh, myself and my buddy drove down. Um, they had already, the other two had already gone down earlier in the day, so they'd gotten up into camp pretty early. South we Colony. Had, yep, South Colony. We, uh, my buddy and I drove down and got there pretty late. I think we parked at like 9.30 or 10. By the time we got up to camp, I mean, it was like 11.30. Did you get the it was summer late. trail or? We got to, yeah, we got to the summer trailhead, parked there, then backpacked up um, to just below the, uh, the lower lake. And set up camp for the night. Um, took off the next morning. That was one of the things we took off too late. We I think we got going at about six. We should have been moving by four. And so that's that the first strike. That's that was one of the day. yeah. That was one of the first things. And we and this is where again experience comes in of like. And I remember at the time I should have been a little more you know pushy about start times. I I knew that we should start early from snow climbs. So you know second that you're anytime you're doing a snow climb, basically when the sun comes up, you're on a timer. And because um, the snow gets. Back and you can't descend it Sloppy, very well. wet, yeah. It's just it basically starts losing the cohesion and what and what's crazy is the timing on it doesn't take that long. Uh, there was a peak that I had to self arrest on actually a year before this 
Uh, Had I not been able to self-arrest, I would have been killed. It was on Gladstone, actually, one of the Centennials. And literally a 30-minute span where I'd walked across this, kind of this ridge below the summit. That by Wilson? The Wilson group? Yep. It's a hairy-looking mountain. It is, and it is definitely one of the harder, looser. We watched, we we summited Wilson before that team broke off and did Gladstone return that saddle. Yeah. Right? And that's the standard route. We went up the east face with full snow. Um, so from Lizard Head, we actually, from Lizard Head Pass, we actually walked right under the Lizard Head and then down and then back up the thing. Okay. Uh, actually, it's a trip report on, on 14 or actually two of them from that same trip on 14ers.com. Who's um, the author? Uh, let's see here. One of them is um, Colorado Native or CO Native, Josh Friesma. And then the other one is Rainier Wolfcastle. <laughs> Both of them were two partners that I had that day. Uh, Josh is on Teller County SAR. And, um, What's SAR? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. There's a little something like, like well, you know what that is. Oh, yeah. I, I just ask, yeah. It's I'm not as dumb as I sound. I just want to ask questions. Oh, I, just, I thought understand. you were just pulling my leg, and I was like, hey, search and rescue. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, anyway, yeah, all of it to say is like, yeah, 30 minutes going up that summit ridge, walking back, and the snow had literally in 30 minutes gone from being just real good, solid crampons bit right into to just a loose, you know, loose sloppy mass. Is that south facing as well? That it is. Aspect? Yep. And that's something, too, that played yeah, the east, crest on peak face. incident. Yeah. Yep. Like, you can do a north face climb. Yeah, so, I mean, if you if you have a south face, the sun basically, I mean, from not long after it comes up, you're going to be, in, I mean, sure, there's a few things that can factor in terrain-wise, but the majority of the day, the sun's going to be hitting it directly. Because we're north of the equator, because yep. the sun orbits around the equator, yep. and so it hits. And so even the angle that it's hitting at is basically going to be a just almost straight down, especially if it's a decently steep slope. But the north and is so, in the shadow, essentially, correct. right? Yep, north's on the other side of the mountain, and so a lot of times... You'll get the opposite, where yeah, that that stuff will turn into just ice. I mean, and it, sometimes it can actually be pretty hairy. Uh, there's a section on El Diente every summer that always is a little tricky, right below the final uh, steps up to the summit. It's a north-facing <laughs> area. There's always a snow field and a lot of ice there, and that always every year that yeah. stops quite a few climbers that get to that we section should, and turn around. We short rope that section just because we looked at it and we like if we you slid go, here, you're, you're we, going. We, and we don't have ice. We didn't bring ice axes because it was late. Yep, July fourth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have so, a short rope, so we crossed it with a rope. So I think the exactly. the aspect is important to note of that too, because when you say you're on a timeline, like south and west faces, especially, you're racing the sun. Yeah, and I, I do, yeah, I was gonna say south and east more, because west by that time it's you know the sun's coming around, you've got at least a little more time. But but the sun rises in the east and hits the west aspects first, so. You know, that's what I always think about in skiing. Is like, uh, okay, yeah, okay. I mean, they're baked. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at it, if you're on the mountain south, you know, the east is going to be on the left side, and it's going to circle around you and kind of follow. But south, and we'll focus on south because the, the Red Gully is very direct south-facing, and I'd argue all the routes on the peaks. I mean, it's, sure. as far as, like, the sun just beating straight down on it, it's, I mean, you'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better example. Sure. Um, and so in our case, yeah, basically that, you know, basically that a little bit of a delay in the morning for a couple different reasons um, that was strike one, and we kind of didn't even realize it yet. We went up the, the, the snow on Broken Hand Pass, which is east face, but it was still early up the morning that was solid. Down the west face, it's not in the sun at all. It was fine. You need to lose how many feet? So you have to lose. You go up to Broken Hand. It's like just, it's like right at or right below 13,000, and then you have to drop down, I think it's 700. What's that lake called? Like that. I was trying to think uh, of that name. Cottonwood Lake. Cottonwood, that's it. Mongoose and I were trying to figure out that lake. Yep. And basically, yeah, so you come around the lake, and you walk under the needle, and then you walk to the base of the peak, and there's kind of a flat little meadow there, and it turns out that's a common landing zone for helicopters <laughs> after talking to the talking to <laughs> Sawatch County SAR, they're like, oh yeah, that's our one of our, our common LZs, and I'm like, 
landing zone? They're like, yeah. And it, it makes sense. I mean, it's only yeah. one flat area is in that in that whole area. So yeah, great place to have your lunch. There's a giant rock there. I got to know that rock very well later that night. But yeah, so when you start going up there, the sun has now come you know, a little bit as it's rising and starting to work its way, you know, basically up in the sky. It's now almost due south, and so it's you know it's basically just baking that couloir with solar radiation. And so even when we were starting to climb it, it was already getting a little mushy. Um, and again, I kind of remember sitting there thinking like, eh, this isn't good, but I should have vocalized and said something a lot sooner and said were like, you guys... hey guys, like we need to, you know, and at least talked about it. And again, like you mentioned earlier, we were talking off air a little bit, you know, there's that kind of that group think thing of like, everybody thinks everybody else will say something uh, or everybody knows it and just thinks, you know, well, we all know it, but nobody actually says anything. And therefore it just kind of doesn't get dealt with. You all think, are thinking the same thing. Right. So when it's mushy, um, what are, what were some of the signs you saw? Like, were you getting full boot penetration, or how'd you know it was unsafe? Yeah. So what you'll you'll typically see is, and again, you know, snow situation. There can there can definitely be a couple different combinations, but um, in our case, the upper three, I'd say about three inches or so, was kind of slushy, and then that was on top of a much harder. I wouldn't say ice, but definitely a much more compact, dense layer of snow underneath that that really didn't have a lot of purchase as far as the grip on the the crampons and so even going up we were having some snow kind of balling up in the crampons so i was having to knock it off my crampons off and on and usually when you have that happening you know that already should be assigned like you should be on your way down were you seeing roller balls or cinnamon rolls at all did never see any of those no like never had any of that sort of activity we it wasn't like we were you know there was no evidence of any wet slides or anything is that like a sign that. of wet slides the roller balls or whatever yep like yeah, they literally, like you said, they look like giant cinnamon. I've seen some that are almost two feet in diameter, but literally what will happen is if it's steep enough, a section will literally peel away and roll over on itself, and it just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling, and then finally it'll break free and then tip over. Um, I have some photos I can I can bring up in, on Facebook, but it's it literally they look like a giant cinnamon roll, but huh. piece of snow. It's wet slab city, you better get out of there. Yeah, if you see those, like turn around get off that slope like you're i mean if it's that's naturally happening that's just telling you that that entire top layer is is not doing well um you know so again if you see those in the roller balls you know very similar where yeah you'll just see these little streaks where things just roll right down they leave these little little streaks and so you just see them all down the slope and again same sort of thing it just tells you that that slope's unstable so we had no signs of instability that that really wasn't a concern but realized that like as sloppy as it was getting you know, we're only, you know, about 13,000 feet. I'm like, gee whiz, like, and again, I kind of sat there and thought, like, we probably, like, I remember kind of, I remember my mind being like, we need to be up and down as quickly as possible, but then I also was like, man, maybe we could turn around, eh, we're already here, like. What's the elevation uh, of the Red Gully? And that's kind of. It starts at, I want to say 128, I think. Oh, really? Okay. Six, somewhere in there. It's, it's. It's actually pretty decent, and it's not full two thousand feet, but it's a good. It's a pretty decent, pretty decent. As gully. far as uh, if you're doing the, in the summer, and you have people that have done a couple class three climbs, they maybe done Southwest Ridge of Sneffels and mm -hmm. Kelso Ridge. Is the Red Gully the next step, or do you think it's still a fair amount of? It's skill? different because it, the you know if you do a lot of the beginner class threes, you're usually doing Ridge, so like Kelso, <clears throat> excuse me, Kelso Ridge. Even the sawtooth, you know, you're you're more on the you know kind of the edge of the of these ridges. Whereas the gully, I mean, as the name implies, again, it's a big gully, so it really is. There's nothing difficult about it. It really, you're just walking up in in some cases climbing up with hands. You know, this just this steep, pretty you know, kind of cool red sandstone rock. 
Like it really, it's not, you know, I wouldn't tell somebody, oh, don't do, you know, wouldn't necessarily say don't do that as your first, but I, I would say, you know, it's not really directly comparable to like one of those. The Sawtooth harder than the Red Gully or? No. I, would, I mean, I think the Red Gully overall in terms of terrain and everything is certainly harder, but again, it's very different terrain. Okay. You know, there isn't the, ex- the like the exposure yeah, rock is different. problems too. Right. Because anything that comes down is going to funnel right down. Not, I mean, it's not like the hourglass where you're in a shooting, you know shooting gallery but it's it's still one of those like you just in this big you know can i'll call it a again, kind of a not v but u-shaped gully so yeah it, it's actually i mean i'm sitting there thinking about all the class three routes on a lot of the 14ers it's fairly unique in that respect you know a lot of the ones again you're on a ridge you're on you know kind of an exposed area even wetterhorn i mean you're climbing like these stairs but like this is just this continual like i don't take a riverbed and you've just tilted it you know 30, okay. 30 40 something degrees depending where you're at on it and like it really is, you know, it's it's pretty cool, but it's also, you know, there definitely are some some dangers there. Um, anyway, we went up. We got a little off route there. This discussion, Mr. Karen, we're way off trail. We're on the wrong path. The talk is starting to derail. The convo is now in the wrong basin, and we're totally off route. So let's get it back to the mountain that this podcast is all about. But yeah, basically we, we got up there, and one of the other mistakes we made is we got up there, and uh, I looked over East Creststone, and it's an unranked sub-peak, and looked over my buddy and said, let's go grab East Creststone real fast, and the other two said, all right, we'll after, wait at the saddle. So there was a bit of, we, we've come this far, we've made Right, we're here, we might as well go grab this other peak. We actually contemplated Northeast Creststone, which is the third summit of Creststone Peak, Have you, much harder. Had you done Creststone Peak or is, are you, that was you, the first time. Oh, so, you, so you have an element of summit fever that you need to oh, yeah. check the list. No, and I, I'm would you have changed your decision if you had already summited Creston? I would have been much more likely to, yeah. yeah. And that's one area I look back and say, oh, yeah. No, I, I wasn't thinking a lot rationally because I was sitting there like, oh, we're here. Let's just go grab this. Even though we're already late. I knew we were already late. And yet I'm like, oh, let's go climb East Creston too. Why not? We're here. Um, you know, and just really didn't pay attention to the fact that, you know, the snow this whole time has been baking in a solar oven that I still got to go down this thing, um, sure. you know, and to despite having, you know, proper gear, like that wasn't an issue, you know, it was one of those things that like, yeah, snow travel wise, I definitely was a lot less experienced, of course, than I am now, you know, now I'm looking at that going, oh my gosh, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of sure. like you look back and you see yourself wearing cotton clothes, you know, years and years ago where you're just like, oh boy, I was that guy, okay. <laughs> She just eats Starburst on the way up the first. Where were you? Where was yeah, your fuel yeah. in the first fourteen year? Yeah, all my little right, all Skittles. My, sa- my Sour Patch Kids. I think kids, Sour Patch Kids. Yeah, that's all exclusively. <laughs> you see yourself with like a single water bottle, right. you know, for like you know Mount Massive or something. You're like, golly, that was dumb. You know, I was out of water all the way home. You know, no wonder. <laughs> so you camped in oh. South Colony. Got up late start six. Late start. Over yeah, broken we, hand. We, down broken hand. Right, up the red gully. gully. Up the gully. Yep. And again, it was already. We had you know some signs that it was getting sloppy. We get up to the summit. We, you know, we didn't really. What time? Gosh, shakes. I want to say it was around noon or later. I mean, it was Just late. late even in summer. Yeah. Now we. Now again, the, the logic, and this is where again fit flawed logic. We thought, well, who cares? We've got all day. It's the longest day of the year. Who cares? You know. And again, the, that logic of it's the longest day of the year. Not doesn't wrong, apply to snow. but it doesn't, you know, it has no bearing, and, you know, if anything, it's even worse. That just means that much more sunlight to bake the bank yeah. down the uh, gully. Yeah, so then we, we, again, went over and did, my buddy and I did East Crestone where the other two hung out. And so, yeah, by the time we started heading down, it was like 2, I want to say it was probably 2.45, maybe a little later. I mean, way too late. Um, at this point, you know, if I if I could go back, and I mean, sure, you can armchair quarterback all day long and, and sit there and play the what-if game, but, I mean, we were probably three hours too late at least. 
more like four if I'm going to be really honest about how I would climb it today. Um, so yeah, we started heading down, and about 13.5, I was heading down first. Um, what time was this, approximately? Three, right around 3 o'clock, 3.15, somewhere in there. I have to double check that photo I have. Um, but right in that time zone, I mean, way too late, we weren't really making a ton of speed, and a lot of it was because, again, the snow was sloppy, and so it was already a little slick. So we were taking our time even more so, which, I mean, we didn't really have a choice at this point, but it wasn't helping the situation. Yeah, about 13.5, I just had gotten to a point where there was an exposed section of rock with a kind of a class three down climb, and so I just was getting ready to step off of the snow, actually slip myself, fell on my butt, and immediately self-arrested. It was like, well, that was not fun. With your ice axe? Yep, with the ice axe, and in fact, it just kind of happened so quickly, I went right into a rest and was like, okay. You know, stood up and carefully got off the, the snow and over onto the rock and yelled up, and I said, hey guys, it's a little slick, and, you know, and uh, so I... I'm staying there. I had just taken my crampons off and was holding both of them in my hand. And uh, I look, and my buddy, who was probably about 150 feet up and behind me, so he's up above and kind of out a little bit into the gully where his eyes on the edge. Um, I saw him suddenly fall, so he's now on his butt sliding. And I remember, I don't remember saying it, but I remember my mind being like, rest, like, come on, rest, rest, just watching him. I don't remember actually saying anything, and none of my partners ever said I, they heard me say anything. Other than an expletive later, I started sitting there thinking like a rest, and I'm watching him, and he just kind of, kind of just started flailing. And as he did with his ice axe, his ice axe caught a little bit on one of the sides, so he's still on his back. And when it did, it basically put him into a spin. So suddenly he's now going headfirst on his back. And he's catching. And he's catching speed. Oh yeah, now like rapidly. And if you've been in the Red Gully, I mean it's steep. Imagine that with snow. I mean you have a jumbo bobsled run right there. And, oh my gosh, like watching this, just going, am I seeing it? Like, I just kind of remember, like, am I seeing this? Like, come on, arrest, like, arrest, like, come on. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, just watched him go right toward this exposed kind of a waterfall section where the snow had melted off and it was a much steeper angle and you couldn't see what was below. And just watched him go flying over. He, cool. Never forget this. I remember seeing his pack burst open as he went over because it was oh. catching some rocks. Out flew his water bottle, his sunscreen. Like, I can still see him just like ejected in midair. Head so first. Like, yeah, so he went down oh. head first and just watching all this stuff just like erupt out of the pack oh. because it had caught on a rock and kind of flung it almost. So the pack had kind of caught for a second and then almost like a slingshot. Just poof. Oh. Um, some clothes, I don't remember what it was, something that was like a you know, layer of some sort that kind of flew up and fluttered in the, in the wind and then drifted out. I never did see it again. Um, and then one of his algae just popped up and ejected and then tumbled down and we never did find that one either, I don't recall. I watched him go over, and I literally just, like, heart in the sink. I dropped my crampons. I remember hearing the clank, thinking, like, I just watched somebody die. And, like, and if if he's not already dead, like, I'm going to get down there, and it's it's just going to be a matter of time. Like, I know it's on the other side of it. We climbed up, and it's about a 30-foot kind of cascading. So not vertical, but cascading waterfall. I mean, if he went overhead first, like, he probably just fell on, on you know, his head, broke head his trauma. neck. Yeah. Right, I'm expecting to go down there, and he's going to have a broken neck. And he, if he's not dead, he's not far. And I just remember, right about then, I remember yelling, just dropping an F-bomb. And I remember hearing screaming from up above me. And I don't ever remember what was said, and they don't remember what they said. I mean, they watched, they had the same view I did, except from above. I remember hearing them yelling something. And I just, I remember, like, I gotta get down there. Like, I, I, you know, one way or the other, I need to go down there and see what I can do. So did you Climb think down. to put your crampons back on? No, because it was, it was I was on rock, and I originally was planning on going down on rock as well. And so I just, I real quick, I remember I kind of looped them. Yep. So I remember, I just remember I looped them real quick onto my pack and just started climbing down and finally got to a point where I could kind of climb over this little rib 
that blocked my view into the center of the gully. And I remember climbing over there and looking, and here he is sitting at the bottom of the waterfall. I mean, water's pouring down right next to him, huh. spraying him and everything. And he's kind of just sitting there like he's holding his hands up, and he's looking at the backs and the front, just kind of oh like, my am, I, am I physical? Am I here? Wow. Like, I mean, it's like you'd see somebody looking at themselves as if they didn't, you know, they just materialized out of a ghost form or something, and they're <laughs> like, am I solid? Um and I go over and I yelled at him. I'm like, you are right. And he kind of looked up at me and just slowly gave me this thumbs up. I mean, it took him like a second and a half to even raise his hand and then finally to put his thumb up. I mean, very slow. And I'm sure little that's memory of just like everything kind of like hyper, you know, into into you know, remembering everything longer than it was. Wow. And I went running down to him and I'm like, dude, you know, are you okay? Like, are you getting broken? Like, are you? And he, and he just said, my ankle really hurts. But I'm okay, and I just well, here, you know, I drug him out of the water. I'm like, let's get you out of the water. Like you're just sitting there in this sure. pouring ice bath. Um, <laughs> and I asked him, I said, you know, can you feel everything? He's like, yeah, I think I'm okay. My head hurts a little bit. I'm looking. He's got a big, um, you know, helmet took some pretty decent scrape scrape damage, but he seemed to be okay. I'm kind of looking there, going, ooh, like okay. You know, looking at his, his jacket was ripped, and I remember there being a big rip in his pants. Um, you know, and basically, I remember his pack kind of being torn. I mean, like, he looked like he'd gotten somewhat beat up, unsurprisingly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. I'm, You know, and I'm like, okay, what, like, let's try to stand up a little bit. He tries to stand up, put weight on, and he's like, okay, no, no, I can't do that. And I'm like, okay, do you think it's broken? He's like, I'm not sure, but I can't really put weight on it. And I said, all right, let's leave it in the boot. And right about then, I, you know, kind of climbed back up on the rock and was able to yell at my partners and said, he's okay, he's okay, come on down. Um took them a little while because they were much further up to get down sure. and obviously they had just been traumatized watching this so they were still took them a little while to get down um we spent the next three hours basically and i should actually I should pause right there we decided um once they got down so we all all four were together we basically asked him and said like can you bear weight you know can you try bearing weight again like let's see how you know how bad this is and he basically tried to stood up and basically buckled over and we caught him and I basically am sitting there going, okay, we got six miles to go to get back to camp. We got to go up and over Brokenham Pass, which is down Broken, seven hundred like Broken game. Ankle Pass, right? I mean, yeah, we, exactly. I'm just sitting there like, okay, yes. we got all this. It's three in the <laughs> afternoon. We've got less than five hours of daylight, you know, even though it's the longest day of the year. Like realistically, like we don't have it. Um, and I'm like, our camp's six miles away. Like, okay, if he can't even stand, like this. And we had There's two no spots, right. right? Yeah, we had two spots and a, a personal locator beacon. Um, didn't have cell service at that particular point there, and made the decision like, okay, we're you know we the only option here is we got to call. It was a group we decision. Can't. You talked about it. Yeah, we talked about it. And we just we realized and you know he's basically said I can't because I don't know if I can get down to the bottom of this, much less back over to camp. And we're like, well, okay, I guess that kind of solves the. The question of, like, we got to get out of here, and if, if you can't get out under your own power and all three of us can't carry you, much less, you know, th even trying to carry somebody, I mean, even let's say if it was a small person, like, trying to go up and over Broken Hand Pass with full snow, yeah. like, okay, that's a recipe for all four of us to, to right. have a, an injury. Um, and so we made the decision and said, all right, let's, let's call search and rescue. I mean, we've got these devices for a reason. Um, so we activated the PLB. What's uh, PLB? So PLB is Personal Locator Beacon, and it's a it's a little bit different technology than a spot or an in-reach use. Um, probably an entirely different topic, but um, basically it's just uh, you press the button once, and it actually uh, military-based, and you know it's kind of you just push the button, and somebody will eventually come and show up. Huh. It's just a question of how long. So sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. And you can't communicate through that. Nope. It's 
just it'll all lose it just sends your location that's it no other information about it so i mean it's kind of just and it always works if you don't have stuff like or yeah it's satellite based um and it's a little bit stronger signal than either the inreach or the spot uses so again different technology there as far as the beacons uh, it's a whole nother can of worms to open up at some point if you ever want um but yeah basically it's just a strong big beacon that just here i am and that's it um so was it ever a consideration of yours as a group to say, okay, what are the ramifications, you know, because I, I think a lot of people don't fully understand what happens when you call SAR, and um, it, that's different for than a flight for life in terms of who's culpable, what do you pay, so did you guys, if you're comfortable sharing, ever end up having to pay for this extraction? We were fortunate, and there... So search and rescue itself, they never charge anything. Um, and that's something even on the, the 14 years page, we always try to make sure we promote and say, right. like, you know, they don't ever, you know, any, or, any search and rescue organization in the state, they're not going to charge you to come find you and extract you. Now, where charges come in is if they, if they get you down to the trailhead, let's just say you've got a broken leg, they load you into an ambulance to take you to a hospital. Okay, that's on you, but that would be no different than if you fell walking out the, you know, the steps here, broke your leg right here. You know, basically that same thing still applies. Um, and the same thing can be true if they have to flight for life. You know, so if they basically, if you end up having a situation where you have a helicopter rescue and that's deemed the best way by the SAR team to get you out of there and it's flight for life, yes, they could potentially. But if you have health insurance, but does that cover, does health insurance cover? Depends on, it depends on your insurance and yeah, that's kind of a, you know, check and see what, you, you know, what options you have there. But it sounds um, like... You should not make that a deterrent for not calling. No. That, I mean, that's always the thing. And I always tell people, look, you know, like with any sort of a bad situation, I mean, it's kind of like if your house burns down, it sucks. But, like, you know, there'll be things to figure out later. Don't worry about it now to, you know, get out of the, you know, get out of the way, get away from it. Like, we'll sort it out later. And these, these SAR volunteers um, operate solely on donations, right? So... People, you have even seen you guys on the admin team recommend getting your. Is it the search and rescue guard? I have it. I don't remember what it's called, but I have it. It's like twelve bucks. You can get a five year thing, and it supports your local search and rescue. So yeah, because these guys, I mean, a lot of them, especially in 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 our case, Swatch County. I mean, a lot of them. You know, these are you know the funds basically come from what the county you know has, and so a lot of these counties, like Swatch County, there. I mean, Crestone and Swatch are really the only two cities there. I mean, they don't have a lot of people, so their tax base is not much. Right. Um, you know, so they're very limited in what they can do. Now, other places like Mountain Rescue Aspen, I mean, Pitkin County is incredibly wealthy. They've got a decent budget, you know, that they get given. And then on top of that, they've got a lot of people that will donate to them. And that, you know, so it's good. Um, but the downside is, is that, yeah, each team is different. And so those, you know, they, they really, a lot of them rely heavily on volunteers, you know, whether it's um, just local folks. And then on top of that, yeah, those donations. Um, the Corsar card, too, it's important to know. So what that does, it's not insurance, but what it does is that if they rescue you, let's just say they, you know, some, some folks in it, they had some gear or some equipment and it got damaged and needed repair or replacing, they can then go get a new one and then they can apply to the state and say, hey, we did a rescue. This guy had a Corsar card. Can you reimburse us for the, you know, for you know, however much, whatever the right. gear costs in the state? We'll say, yeah, no problem, because your dollars went into that fund. And that they basically dole out to reimburse the SAR teams for equipment and uh, and gear. So basically, again, it kind of helps. It helps take care of the SAR teams so that way, if, if they again they incur damages or loss rescuing you, that they get covered. 
Makes sense. So, and that's where it's important. Again, it's not insurance, but it helps them a lot. I mean, for and for twelve bucks, I would still be like, hey, buy four. I mean, like, yeah, for as yeah. much money as you spend going up into the mountains, yeah. like, I mean, you know. Well, it's not an insurance policy. I think yeah. that's a misconception. But yeah, be a good was. person if you spend time in the mountains. It's worth twelve bucks. It's kind yeah. of your penance. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it's like you know, you're, you're donating some. You know, I mean, you hope they never. You know, you're never having the, the guys coming to fish you out of a situation. Right. But at the same time. You know, if you ever do, you want to make sure that, uh, you know, they're not operating on a, uh, you know, a shoestring budget. And, I mean, hey, if you can help with that, please do. You for know, sure. Always, I always like to point that out and say, hey, there's, you know, we even, you pointed out we had a fundraiser for um, Alamosa County, SAR because they, the truck that they basically use as an ambulance to try to go up Lake Como Road, they can get up decently high, finally oh. died. It was like 30-something years old, and so they need to replace it. And so they basically said, hey, it's, you know, they were looking for donations. I know they're selling hats and T-shirts right now. Because yeah, I mean Alamosa down there again. It's you know, not sparsely exactly populated. Of, yeah. yeah, and there's I mean, no like there's not million dollar condos you can tax. Nope. <laughs> but you've got Little Bear, you got Blanca, you got Ellingwood, all right it's there. Really and then dangerous. They, yeah, sure. Yep, and then they help a lot of the times on the Crestones. Excuse me, Kit Carson, Challenger, um, just because those are right there as well. And so yeah, you know they unfortunately got to cover some of the most difficult, dangerous, hard to rescue peaks and you know they don't have the, the huge budget so so you going back to the story that the beacon was activated yep. and then you went ahead and did an inreach as well we no, we didn't at that time spot, i didn't have an inreach right? we oh. we actually we had the spots and we decided no let's just leave the plb and we'll 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 go with just that um the other thing we decided was which uh, looking back i mean it worked out but you know, most of the time star folks will tell you to just stay put we decided that, well, we don't know how long it's going to take them to get here. Let's just see how, if we can get ourselves down at least to the flat area. Because, like, we got gravity working kind of for us, hopefully not too much. Um, and so we spent the next three hours basically you know, oh, kind wow. of doing a, doing a, you know. Did you know they were coming, though? Did you, well, point? we assumed they were. I mean, we pressed the button, yeah. but we have no communication. confirmation. This yeah. is where now, like, I carry an inReach, and so that's one reason I have that is, like, I, you know, I want to make sure that, hey, if something Which happens, you text, I can communicate. Right, it sends text messages, yep. is that right? Yes, yeah, so you can actually preset, but you mongoose can actually text you directly with with folks. And you contacted Mongoose, didn't it? Mongoose is one of your people he, you, and your parents? Yeah, he and he knew a fair bit about that and how I, I kind of wanted to make sure that he knew we were okay, but there was a problem. And so I, at the time, had a custom message built into my spot where, again, I had to set this up in advance, and I'm glad I did. Because, um, yeah, you can't change it once you're out there, and there's only four oh. things you can program into a spot. So you can't actually text. It's not like a nope. text. No, spot. Spot's a little more advanced. So the, in the, the hierarchy, PLB is the most basic. Like, there's one button, you press it, and it's a summon search and rescue, and that's it. The older-style spots, there is a new one that does it uh, two-way. But the old-style one, you had four buttons, and you could program a message with each of the four. Like, hey, I'm okay. Hey, you know, I'm going to be late, or, you know, whatever you wanted to have. It was just a custom message. You could make it whatever you want. Um, and then there was one that was, they called it the personal help, and it was one of, like, I don't need SAR, but, like, hey... You know, I've got a flat please tire. Come. Yeah, please come to my location. So mine said something like, hey, I have a non-life-threatening issue. Please come to my location. And I always intended that if I have my car stuck at a trailhead, it's late at night, nobody's there. Like, I'm not I'm not in serious trouble, but, like, I need a tow. I need somebody to show up because I'm stuck. Uh, and then there's finally the SOS button, and that was just like the PLB. You press that, and that activates the response. And then the end reaches now, those are full two-way communication. And so literally, um, in fact, Pitkin County just announced you can in-reach directly to a number, and they'll be able to just 
you know, cuts out the middleman, you can just text with them directly and tell them here's what happened, and they'll respond, and you know what's going on. And that's Where can we find that number? Is that online somewhere? Yeah, they just posted it. They posted it on their Facebook page just this last week, and I'm sure they probably got it on their uh, the sheriff's search and rescue page there for Pitkin County. Because if you hit SOS, it uses your location to then go to dispatch, and yep, then they have to they figure it. out. Yeah. Yeah. So this takes a step out of it, and you know, so I actually added it into my my inReach contact, so that way, if I'm ever in the Elks, I can just real quick, and then I can send a message and say, "Hey, I'm on North Maroon. Climber just fell 300 feet. You know, he is seems to be okay, but you know, doesn't broken arm or whatever. You know, what do you guys want to do? And then obviously, I can you know communicate mm-hmm. that way to them. Uh, again, I hope I never have to use it, but it's nice, especially after this experience, knowing that I've got the option. So yeah, we pressed the button. We had no idea what to expect, and sure. that was one of the biggest learning things. Is I always was under the conception of, oh, you press the button, and you know, it's kind of like summoning a stewardess in the airplane. You press the button, and a few minutes later, somebody shows up and says, "How can I help you?" Right. You know, like great. Um, I always just kind of had this conception that, like, oh, you know, probably thirty minutes, maybe a little more, and a helicopter will just land and pick you up. Like, I mean, isn't that what they do? Like, like the Rock from San Andreas. Um, yeah, all told, it would end up being six hours between the time that that button was pushed and the time that the Black Hawk landed. And what's unbelievable is talking to the, the SAR folks um, later, um, it was very nearly not, even on the helicopter, wouldn't have even been an option if the military hadn't decided to accept the request from the Colorado Search and Rescue Board, um, basically because as the evening got later, they were trying to find the private pilot to, to basically fly a helicopter up and at least drop some SAR team members to help or pick us up, whichever they could do. Basically, they don't have their own helicopter, so they're kind of relying on anybody else that has one being willing to do that. Wow. And if it's after dark, private pilots, most of them don't have the ability mm-hmm. to fly at night. So basically, the timer we didn't know we were up against was basically sunset. Um, wow. And because of the remote location, wow. I mean, not everybody has a helicopter down there. So even, right. like, where do you get it? And so basically, it turns out that when this went out, they originally just didn't have any idea what to expect. They saw the PLB go off and just knew it was in the Crestones. It actually turned out that they said the signal was showing us over on Humboldt. So initially, they didn't even respond with all that much worry because they're like, oh, it's an easier peak. And it really is a pretty, it was basically showed us on the south face. So it, oh. looking at a map later, it, it basically had us correct as far as the, um, what do you call it, the latitude, but the longitude as far as where we were horizontally was off. It even had the altitude actually pretty darn, darn close, but it showed us literally over on Humboldt Slope at like 13.2 instead of Preston. No. Um, so our guys, goofed, do you think the gully goofed up the signal? Or? No, because, I mean, everything satellites-wise, are all, most of them are toward the equator, so the, they call it the, constant, the satellite constellation awesome. is most visible in the southern sky. But if you were in a, if you were in a slot canyon or something, oh, yes, that could happen. Or a north-facing Corvar yep. would be different. Correct, because you're facing away from most of those satellites, and ah. so the quality of the signal and getting a good fix is a lot less possible. So like I, have you, a, I have a cool track I can show you from my inReach uh, on a rafting trip a year ago in, in the gates of Lador, and it goes into this 2,000-foot deep canyon, and the canyon faces east-west, and you see my, my signal tracking every 10 minutes. It freaked my parents out, I found out later. Um, <laughs> they were watching me go in, and then all of a sudden stop, and not move for a couple hours, and then show up on a cliff face, move around on the cliff face a little bit, and then down in the water right below. <laughs> so, like, it looked, I mean, if you just glance at it, it literally looked like I, we stopped, climbed the cliff wall, was walking along, and then fell all the way down into the river. Like, that's what the track kind of looks like. Hmm. And then suddenly there's a message of, hey, guys, we're at camp for the night. 
Um, apparently, they were for about an hour along. What's yeah, going she on? Was shaving years off of their life. Right. Well, again, I mean, basically, the rock walls screwed it up so that sure. we had a narrow view of the sky, and only one or two satellites was getting my signal and wasn't showing us where we should be. So we actually, of all things considered, should have been really good because we were on that south face. Um, anyhow, we it took us three hours. We were able to finally get down toward the bottom. We figured, hey, we'll at least be helping them out. They're going to have to get us down anyway. Um, knowing what I know now, I'd say we should have just stayed put and wait. Um, again, it worked out, but most our groups will tell you, stay put, don't move around. Because they assume they assume that if you're moving, it's not that bad. If you're not moving, ooh, you got a problem. Like somebody's got a serious injury if you're just sitting, if you've activated it and then don't move. Um, and there's actually a, on the page recently, um, Mountain Rescue Aspen actually posted about that after they had an accident on the bells. It was actually interesting because that was one of the first times I'd seen a, a SAR group publicly say that. We had heard it later because I was talking to the, the head guy of uh, Chafee County, or not Chafee, Custer, Sawatch County. Why am I mixing all the counties up here? Um, he had mentioned that to us, but I had never seen it since then until just recently there with hmm. MRA mentioning it. Um, we got down to the bottom, and at this point, we're kind of like, where's the helicopter? It's been three hours. Like, you know, this thing work? Like, we're just kind of sitting there Are like, you carrying him or like, kind of like... We he had it strapped on his pack, so it was pretty visible. So I mean, we you know looking back, we're kind of. Saying, I mean, like, how'd you get down the gully with a oh, leg? Pretty much, kind of. It was a yeah, shoulder, kind of shoulder carrying. We splinted the, the foot. We didn't know what kind of condition it is. Uh, I have a picture somewhere. Get I can show like on. these trekking poles around and ice axe around his around his ankle and everything, and we tied it together with some rope that we had webbing. Thankfully, I had a twenty five foot section of rope and something else. I think Bill also had something. Um, we got down, it was just kind of like, well, what do we do? Because, like, we don't know. So I went up onto this rise that looks down over the Cottonwood Valley and just thought I'd pull my cell phone out and try. And I got just enough of a signal to get a hold of the sheriff's office and called in. And said, hey, we're here below Crestone Peak. We activated PLB like three hours ago. Like, we wanted to kind of, we're trying to figure out, well, you know, without sounding entitled here, like, what do we do? And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, we've been trying to figure out, we're trying to mobilize a response. And the, you know, the receptionist was, or no, receptionist, re, uh, dispatcher was great. She was like, hey, you know, we're trying to get a helicopter, but we're also preparing. We may have to send a ground team up, but they're going to have to come from Crestone, so it may be six to eight hours before they can get there. And I'm like, six to eight hours? Um, having two years ago done that route in winter, I now understand why it would have been that long. I thought for sure. I'm like, how is it that far? Yeah, it's a really, really rugged canyon. And I, when I went back up there, I remember just sitting there going like, oh, man, no wonder they said that long. Okay. Um, yeah. So they basically told us to like hang tight, and I, we just told them, you know, we said, here's the condition, and we said, we, you know, not life threatening, but here's the thing: two of us have overnight gear, the other two don't, and we're at, you know, basically twelve six. It's supposed to get down to seventeen degrees tonight, and our tent and all our winter, you know, overnight gear is on the other side of the pass. Like, we're not in a bad situation now, but our bigger problem is going to be exposure later tonight. And I, I even kind of joked to the guy, I said, look, if you guys even just, like, airdrop some sleeping bags to us, like, we would probably be good until morning. But, like, we sure. don't have enough that, you know, spending the night is really going to be fun. Right. You know, we'd already had a fun conversation about, like, all right, let's get all our gear on. And then we, we literally talked about, like, okay, um, we, one person and the injured person, the, you know, the smallest person is going to be in the dead center. And then myself and my other buddy are going to be outside. We're just going to basically be spooning <laughs> and have our jackets just kind of on top of us and more or less just try to make a giant like a burrito and keep as much heat as possible in. 
And obviously, the poor guy that fell down the gully you start a fire up there? was nothing to start a fire with. Oh, you're about tree line. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and we even look. I looked down at all the, you know, down below, and I mean, a thousand feet something down there. Sure, there was trees. I'm like, great, that's I could great. try to hike down there and then hike a bunch of stuff back up. But like, that's not feasible. Um, and we didn't have, right, and we didn't have enough stuff to, you know, to actually start a fire that would last long. Sure, I mean, I guess we could light right. a couple pieces of gear on fire, but like. Yeah, you couldn't sustain right. a fire for very long. Right, so I mean, we, we were kind of just sitting there. I even told the dispatcher, I'm like, you know, we don't even have anything to burn. I mean, we're sitting up here right next to an alpine lake. You know, I'm like, I said, we don't, you know, we don't even have grass. I mean, all the grass is green and most of it's covered in snow. Like, we don't. Right. You know, so I kind of even walked her through, and she goes, okay, well, let me, she goes, you know, can I call, try calling you back? And I'm like, well, if it'll reach, my phone's battery's good, but, like, we, you know, I'm surprised they even got us a call off. She goes, all right, well, if you don't hear from us within the next hour, call back. And I'm kind of like, all right. You know, but she's like, we're working on it, we're trying to figure out something, but one way or the other, we'll be up there. Um, time goes by, almost two hours go by, nothing, so I go back up there. At this point, it's starting to get dark. And I call down, and I said, hey, guys, you know, I'm just wanting to understand, like, should we try to come down, you know, down toward Cottonwood Creek? Like, what should we do? She's like, no, no, stay put. She was, we actually just, um, you know, dispatched a little while ago for a helicopter out of Buckley. They should be there by now. Do you not see them or hear them? And I'm like, no, it's getting dark. We haven't heard a thing. Like, we're just hanging out waiting to see. And she goes, well, hang on. I hear her talking on the radio in the background. Um, you can hear, you know, kind of squawking over the radio. I hear something like, you know, yep, all right, we're looking around. We don't see anything. You know, she's talking to the pilot. Come to find out, they were looking at where the PLB was on Humboldt. the other side of Broken Hand Pass over by Humboldt. Come to find out later, I had a friend that was, I didn't realize at the time, was spending the night there at South Colony and said, oh yeah, all of a sudden, like right around dusk, all of a sudden, you know, they all got awakened by this helicopter hovering 80 feet over the lake, you know, spotlighting around, looking for any sign of us down there. And because they had looked up top and hadn't seen anything in the mountains, they thought we went down into the lakes. Right. And so I hear her go, no, they say that you, they can't see you guys. Turn your light on. And I'm like, we're not even here in the helicopter. Like, I said, are you guys in the, you know, where are you, where, where are you guys? And they go, well, <laughs> we showed you right below Humboldt Peak. And I said, we're right below Crestone Peak. And I said, I'm due west of the Needle and we're next to Cottonwood Lake at 12-6. And she goes, are you sure? And I said, I am dead positive. I can tell you everything right around me. I know exactly where I am. And I said, I'll give you my coordinates again from my phone. But like, wherever you guys are, it isn't above us. Mm. And she goes, give me, go ahead and give me the coordinates. I real quick pulled my coordinates on the phone and gave it to her. And she goes, yeah, that's... Had you done that on Gaia? Or? Yeah. Okay. Uh, at the time, it was a slightly different GPS software. But yeah, Gaia now would work. Um, and I just told her, I said, no, look, I know right where I am. I'm looking up at the west face of Crestone Needle. If I turn to my left, there's the Red Gully of Crestone Peak. And Cottonwood Lake is in front of me here a few hundred yards. And there's a giant cliff that I'm above. And then it goes down into a <coughs> valley heading towards Crestone. And she goes, okay, yeah, okay, no problem. Hang on. I'm like... Oh. And yeah, you know, she also gets back on like a minute later. She goes, "Okay, they're gonna come over. You should see them in a minute. I'm gonna hang up, but like you know, when you see them, like I said, they're gonna come down and like just hang tight." Um, so I hang up. I come running back down. I'm like, guys, they should be here any second. But you know, I remember, I remember one of them goes, "What are they gonna do? Teleport in?" Like you know, and I'm like, they just said they're coming over. You know, their helicopters on the other side by South County Lakes. Um, sure enough, about a minute later, suddenly we just kind of started hearing this faint, you know. Ch -ch 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 um, and then suddenly it got way louder and we couldn't see it, but it came over Broken Hand Pass and you could just faintly, I mean, so this is like, we're getting pretty dark now. You could just faintly see this kind of shadowy outline up against the sky moving. I mean, the sound just kept getting louder and louder and we're like, okay, well, it's definitely a helicopter. We'll never forget this. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I got to get his attention. So I flipped on my strobe light on my headlamp and I think Smart. it flashed three or four times and all of a sudden just got this blinding flashback <laughs> from the helicopter. <laughs> Bam! I mean, like, I Found couldn't you. see anything. 
And I, th- and I just remember thinking, oh, like, okay, they saw us. I'll turn my headlamp <laughs> off. Like, I literally couldn't see for about five seconds. I'm just standing there like, I can't even, like, I was so blind. Um, and all of a sudden, they just kind of disappeared and went down valley. I'm sitting there thinking, like, whoa. They went down, and it turns out they had to get lined up with the wind to land, but they basically came back around, and then all of a sudden came up and over this cliff and landed, like, 30 feet in front of me. Wow. It was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. I mean, just, like... All of a sudden, I mean, again, just the silhouette, you really couldn't see much. Um, chopper, you know, the chopper wash just was like, just about blew you off your feet. And as I'm standing there, I realize there's two guys wearing night scope masks and full fatigues, like soldiers, basically, hanging off the side of the helicopter, one on each wow. side, and then two pilots in the front. And the two guys jump off, and one comes walking over, and I'm basically standing there in front of them, and then the guy, the other folks are basically right behind me in the rock, about 15, 20 feet back. And all of a sudden, the guy comes walking up, and he goes, where's the injured guy? And I turn around, and I'm like, right there. And he just didn't say a word, goes over, picks the, you know, picks him up. I mean, this big, burly dude. Huh. Picks him up and starts helping him over. How did he know he didn't have a spinal the, injury? Yeah. I mean, I think it was because he was just, you know, he was sitting he there and wasn't him laying like, down. Yeah, right. Okay. I mean, he was, he was fully, you know, it wasn't like he was immobile. Um, picks him up, helps him over into the plane. And I remember the other soldier comes walking over and goes, you guys want to lift? <laughs> like I'm literally like, sitting there I mean, it's dark and I'm just sitting there like I, I kind of resigned myself I'm cool they're going to pick him up and great we've got a nice long slog back and dark over Rogan right I was, I was kind of stealing myself for that going like oh this is going to suck and I'm just like sure he goes get in and I'm like okay like, I'm, like I'm literally just like I'm grabbing my poles and I'm like I go over toward the door and, I, and I'm sitting there thinking how do I get in this door like there's no handle I'm literally like looking down at the handle and all of a sudden someone grabbed me from behind and just picked me up and chucked me into the like I literally just went flying in they were ready to go home wall. too right I mean literally it was just like some you know I, I don't know who but like one of the guys just picked me up and tossed me I mean I felt like in Lord of the Rings like Gimli the dwarf just got picked up and tossed I mean like I had no control of that I was going right where he wanted me to yep you know, landed right next to a jump seat on the other side of the line. I'm just like, I turn around and look, and all of a sudden I see the other two, two of the guys that weren't injured, and they're walking up to the door, and all of a sudden, they come one and two. They got thrown too? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, just kind of right in they went. And I'm kind of like, you know, one of them crashes into me, and I'm just like, it's kind of cool, isn't it? And she's just like, this is fucking terrifying. And I'm like... Sure, whatever. I'm just glad I'm not having to hike the pass or right. something. You know, the chopper's going. It was pretty loud. And um, so I'm sitting there and realizing, okay, they've already got uh, the other guy in the front. And all of a sudden, the two soldiers give some sort of hand signals to the pilot, jump onto the side, and they slam the door shut. And the next thing you know, I mean, we're lifting off. And I remember just looking. I could just see the silhouette of the needle oh, cool. against the stars. And the next wow. thing you know, we just pivoted and just... The whole flight was maybe two minutes. Um, to where? Back to Westcliff? Yep. He just basically went straight up so we could see the needle out the window. And as he turned, he then turned toward the west. You could just see a little bit of sunlight over the San Juans. And immediately dropped and flew down the valley. I mean, what seemed like, you know, sound sort of car thing. Sick or? Not that much, but it was enough that I mean, I mean it they feel like you're dropped dropping. a few hundred feet Whoa. right after. Because we went right over the cliff that I had been standing along. And then just kind of flew low through the canyon. I remember looking up and seeing the... Kind of the canyons and seeing Crystal Peak kind of kept, you know, being a, a visible silhouette. And then also, we remember we went right over Crestone. I remember looking down, seeing the lights in the city. I'm like, oh, we're over Crestone. Okay, cool. Um, and one, I remember uh, the guy had the PLB. It also has a flashing light that are, that's on him. And at one point, as we were flying over, all of a sudden, one of the soldiers real quick grabbed his hand and went, like, popped it over the light. And he goes, the pilots can't see with that on. And I'm like, Gee whiz. I mean, this light's like a tiny little LED that's just kind of flashing. I mean, think of like, you know, something on your phone. 
Um, you know, it turns out later, I mean, their night scopes are so sensitive that that huh. was actually like, you know, think of like somebody, you know, turning on a bright light behind huh. you in the car. You know, they're like, hey. So, yeah, we circled over Crestone, landed in a field, and I mean, literally just as quick as they picked us up, we land, and I'm kind of like, <laughs> all of a sudden the door, yeah, the guys that were on the side, the door opens, the guy's like, pulls us out, and I mean, I'm just like, standing there, and I'm like, looking around, like, right, I'm like, you know, right, I'm kind of like, this is kind of interesting, like, okay, and you know. No foreplay, out. Right, yeah, we're just, boy, we're just all business here, there is no, you know, um, and all of a sudden, like, hey, we're on dirt. Awesome. And it's warm down here. Cool. You know, I turn around and look, and, you know, pilots are helping get the last guy off, you know, with the, the leg injury. There's an ambulance waiting, and a couple of the sheriff's guys, you know, they're coming over to help him. And uh, literally, the one of the SAR guys who'd been there, you know, the whole time in the jump seat, just real quick, was like, thanks, guys. Another great service or something like that. I mean, it was just kind of like a business as usual. And pilot just real quick gave him a quick little flash. And the next thing you know, I mean, they're picking up, taking off. The two soldiers jumped in doors, closed them. And, I mean, they took off and were gone. Back to Denver or where? Right. Turns out that later I found out, yeah, they flew straight down from Buckley. Which is where? In North Aurora, Denver, yeah, yeah. Like Aurora. Yeah. Wow. So they went down to Buckley, flew over the, the Sangres, picked up the two SAR guys in Crestone, went back over. And this is, I'm still not sure. They must have been on the other side of Crestone, or uh, the other side of the peak, because we never heard them. Went back over to then search South Colony Lakes, came and picked us up, dropped us all in Crestone, and then turned around, went right back up and over the mountains and disappeared. I mean, like, this whole thing, from the time they landed to the time that they were taking off and leaving Crestone, might have been five minutes. Wow. And so, yeah, we're standing there. Of course, the ambulance guys, t- you know, tend to him. They start checking him out. and then the They weren't doing over. anything. Am- they were just getting you out. Yep. They, they literally were like, just like, cool, checking your packages vitals picked or anything, up, packages or... delivered. I mean, it was like FedEx. Hey, huh. cool, packages delivered. Hey, psh, ding dong. Wow. Bye. I mean, they were rolling. They had, you know, and so literally, like, yeah, we watched them take off, and it was, you know, the next thing you know, the sheriff comes over and starts asking us, hey, guys, you know, can you use some information? What route would you, know, what would you guys sure. climbing? You know, can you tell us your names? You know, just all standard stuff. Um, you know, they're checking him out, and then they're just like, hey, you know, do you guys have, you know, means to a lodging or anything? Like, well, no, our tent's on the other side of the mountains. Like, right. you know, and they're like, no problem. We totally get it. We're going to bring you over to this bed and breakfast. Uh, there, oh. You know, di- this little place is open. We always go here after missions. You're welcome to join us for dinner. And then oh. uh, we've got you already arranged for a bed and breakfast, and then you guys can figure out what, you know, how to get back there in the morning. Oh, so they didn't, like, throw you in the slammer and make no, you No, I mean, they were about <laughs> as hospitable oh. as they come. Oh. Do you pay for the bed and breakfast, or who paid so later, they one of the guy that was actually injured was like, no, no, I'll pay for this, I'll take care of it. You know, um, nice. he actually had his yeah. wallet. I did actually have my wallet left it at camp because I thought, well, who, you know, who's going to need it on right. a burrito? In the yeah, so like I had no, you know, right? Yeah, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, exactly, you know, the, the summit house up there, you know, serves coffee all night long. Um, you know, but it was what was really fun though is when we went down, we ended up so we ended up basically it was like ten o'clock. We ended up having dinner with the SAR guys. And it was really eerie because we walked in there, everybody was staring at us. Like it was, I mean, it was Saturday night in Crestone. I'm sure it's not exactly <laughs> hopping, but, but for Crestone, like it was pretty going. And we're sitting there and everybody's like, music stops and, right, like everyone just kind of keeps much. looking over at us. And at one point I, I looked over to the SAR guy, his name is uh, Ivan Lakish. And I said, Ivan, I said, well, everyone's kind of staring at us. Like, I mean, I realized like we just got plucked off a mountain, but like, we like weird. What's the deal? And he goes, well, you're the first live ones we've had in over a year. So it's kind of a big deal. And I'm like, wow. oh, wait, 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 what? And he just goes, well, yeah, usually, unfortunately, when we come here on a Saturday night after uh, reconnaissance mission, it's usually a body recovery. Uh, and he goes, yeah, so you, you guys are kind of special in that regard. We haven't had you know, oh live folks. He goes, last time that we were here, it was because somebody had fallen off the avenue and kicked Carson, and we just did the body uh, recovery. And I'm like, oh. 
And he goes, yeah, he goes, up here, unfortunately, there's a lot more people that tend to not make it than a lot of places. He goes, so we don't always have happy endings, so when they do, everybody pays attention and knows about it. Um, and I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, it, it ended up being interesting, you know, very short summary. You know, we spent the next two and a half hours chatting with uh, with them a little bit and understanding a bit more about how search and rescue works and and finding out, like, what would have happened in terms of, like, okay, if the helicopter hadn't landed, yeah, they were going to send a ground team up, and they would have been there at 2 or 3 in the morning. You know, that was their best option. They just didn't have another one. Sure. Um, you know, and even when they press the button, I mean, they just know that somebody's, you know, injured with a PLB. They don't know anything else other than that. You know, and so that was a big driving reason for me to get an inReach. Um, but, yeah, the biggest thing, I think, was a takeaway that I like to share to people is, like, if you have a situation, I mean, don't ever be afraid to call to rescue. Don't ever be afraid to call earlier rather than later because that gives them more time to respond. And I had no idea the whole time we were running up against sunset, and we never knew it. You know, basically sure. it was were we going to be able to get a helicopter? And it, thankfully, the Colorado Search and Rescue Board, Swatch County, had tried to find a helicopter. They couldn't find anybody, so they reached out to the Colorado Search and Rescue Board and put a call out and said, "Is there anybody willing to fly?" By that point, it was too late to get anything down there. They wouldn't be able to fly, and so they put a call out to the military. And basically, military doesn't have to accept anything, you know, but they will use them as training missions. And they have a certain amount each, I think it's each right. month or year, set aside for training, high altitude training. And the high altitude training, the HAT Center up in uh, Gypsum, I think it is, um, they do the same sort of thing. And so a lot of times, rescues on the bells, it'll be helicopters from HATs. Huh. Um, song rays will be, a lot of times, will be Buckley. And so basically, they put a call out, and Buckley decided, sure, we got some training budget, we'll come down. Wow. So they basically, those guys were on call, the pilots, and so, yep, they flew down, and they got some high altitude. Apparently, talking to the pilot later, again, it was kind of an accident. I called in to ask him to send a, where to send a car, and ended up talking to the pilot that rescued us. I had no idea until he mentioned it was him. Um, yeah, and he basically just kind of said, oh, yeah, no problem. We did, you know, it was great altitude for us for you know, flying in Afghanistan. It's you know very similar high altitude, you know, lots of craggy mountains and stuff. So, yep, just another friend training night for us. I'm just like, <laughs> well, I'm like, dude, you. your training night like, saved yeah. our bacon. Like, seriously, thank you. you yeah, know, especially wow. seriously. flying from Denver, pick us up and drop it all. I'm right. Like, so, anyway, all of it to say, yeah. You know, and the other thing is, is like, you know, if you do if you do have to press that button, understand that you might be there a while. You know, make sure you have the gear to, to spend the night. Two of us did, two of us didn't. You know, I don't. I sometimes try not to think about what would have had happened if the helicopter had landed and the temperature would have dropped. Like, oh, this would have been fun. We were just talking. We'll just take turns rotating and who's shivering on the outside versus warm on the inside and just kind of, you know, rotate all night long. But like, you know, again, we we vastly underestimated the fact. Yeah, we might have to spend a night. Ever since then, I've always carried a bivy, an extra blanket, and a couple other uh, you know layers to make sure that yeah, if I have to spend the night. You know what? It might be a bad situation, but at least it's not going to really suck. Where I'm sitting there fighting off frostbite, or right. you know, basically just trying not to have hypothermia. So, kind of a nutshell version. Was that probably went a little longer than? No, what well, awesome. awesome. cool awesome. podcast Thanks for sharing. What yeah. an incredible story! Right. That, Thank you. So. It takes a pretty high degree of humility to be able to analyze it afterward and admit your mistakes and let other people learn from it. So, thank you for sharing that. That's Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, nobody's perfect. So. What an incredible cool. story. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> You know, just kind of in closing, what are three pieces of advice, three sentences that you would give to somebody to help avoid a situation like you found yourself in in Crestone Peak? I think the biggest thing, make sure, and this was something that did factor in uh, a little bit with the Crestone, um, you know, make sure you tell some folks where you're going and, and leave a detailed itinerary. Um, and that's something that um, I usually do quite a bit. In fact, Nick Mongoose has been on those 
number of times that that way if something happens, you know, people know where you're at, what's expected, who's in your party, you know, um, and a decent amount of information that can be shared with, with search and rescue if needed. Two, you know, make sure that um, make sure you have the gear and expect to, that you may potentially have to spend the night. I mean, if you're just doing a quick, easy peak that's you know, like Atlantic Peak, it's four miles round trip, it's next to a highway, yeah, you could probably get away without the overnight gear. Um, you know, but a lot of these peaks, they're pretty rugged, they're remote, and they're you know in places where there aren't many people. You know, so make sure you have the gear to be self-sufficient if you have to. You know, even I even carry a battery charger to recharge my phone and my inReach, um, and it can basically it's a big enough battery it'll recharge both of them twice. You know, so that way, hey, if I run out of, of juice, no problem. I'll just real quick plug the battery pack in, and I've got some more. Hmm. Um, I used to carry spare batteries for my spot, same sort of thing. You know, make sure you've got some some systems to help you out because, you know, again, if you don't have some of those, you're going to be spending a you know potentially a long cold night, you know, out by yourself, and that's you know, that's no fun. <laughs> no, and three, you know, have realistic expectations that you know, sorry, they're always going to do the best they can, but you know, sometimes weather can imp- it can impact things, time of day. I mean, heck, I've even heard some stories of, you know, there's another call going on and they have mm-hmm. to basically try to take care of and finish whatever they're working on first, you know, before they can get to you. And so understand that when you press that button, you know, yeah, do it as early as you can. If, you know, if you think that you do need their help, don't wait because, you know, time may be ticking in a way you don't, you know, don't even know whether it's, you know, darkness coming and meaning that only the help, you know, the military would be able to fly all the way down to, you know, how quickly folks can get to you. Um, you know, so when you press that button, understand that, you know, yeah, it's not going to be 30 minutes and folks just show up. If somehow they do, awesome. <laughs> you pass go, you know, you mm-hmm. did collect $200. <laughs> right. um, but most of the time, it's usually going to be, you know, most of the, the, the accounts that I hear are very similar to ours where, yeah, it's going to be four or six, sometimes even more hours. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, be prepared that if, you know, something happens, like it may be a while, you know. Um, and like a lot of them will tell you, stay put. They'll come to you. You know, they've got your location. Again, it's not just push the button and they show up like this, you know, flight steward and they're in your, you know, <laughs> ding, ding, hey, what can I get you? <laughs> no, it's, it might be a while and it's, you know, it's not that they, you know, don't want to be there right away, but I mean, again, these are folks they got to assemble, get their gear together, you know, get as much information as they can, hike to use in some cases, so it can take a while. Wow. So, well, okay. thank you again. Well, thanks, guys, for listening. It's been a pleasure having Ryan on here. Uh, Remember to enjoy it. Be safe out there. Take our opinions with a grain of salt. Remember, these are our opinions, and uh, don't take anything we say too literally. Make your own decisions. Don't be stupid, and as we learned, uh, if you do make a mistake, search and rescue will be there to save your bacon, and uh, thank, thank a SAR person if you see him. Happy trails, guys. We'll see you out there. <laughs>